Welcome to the Revision Path podcast brought to you by Revision Path, a showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. I'm Maurice Cherry, and before we get started, I wanted to tell you about our fundraising page on Tugboat Yards. Visit tugboatyards.com forward slash page forward slash revision path and donate today. If you like these interviews and want to keep Revision Path going and help us grow, leave us a tip in our tip jar or donate at any of the other levels. Also, don't forget that we're on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. Just do a search for Revision Path, subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. The more subscriptions, ratings, and reviews we have, the more people we can reach. This week, I spoke to Chris Barker, a graphic designer and art director in Atlanta, Georgia. Here we go. Okay, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Chris Barker, and I am a graphic designer slash art director. Graphic designer slash art director. How did you first get into graphic design? Um, Well, initially, I thought I wanted to go into uh, video production. Um, I was really a huge fan of the visuals of, like, Hype Williams and all of the, you know, video producers uh, in hip-hop culture in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I initially thought that was the field I wanted to go into, but then um, I started a lot of publications and magazines as I grew up in my teenage years and really started developing an appreciation for layout and design of publications. Um, And from there, I believe it was my sophomore year in high school, I kind of decided that that design was the route I was going to go. So I designed any and everything that you know, someone would allow me to, um, t-shirts for different clubs. Um, I was never part of yearbook or newspaper or anything like that. I just, I hadn't, I just used the contacts that I had, um, as far as different organizations and clubs that I was involved in or had friends involved in, um, and designed different things from them, um, like concert posters and, you know, any random thing that could possibly need some form of design and advertisement. Um, I was the go-to guy. After that, I graduated from DeKalb Tech, which is now Georgia Piedmont College, um, from their printing graphics technology program. Mm -hmm. And after that, I uh, took some time. I did an internship with the agency called Accent South Media, which is based in Gwinnett County in Georgia. And then after that, I got my first job as a graphic art director with Phoenix Magazine. So that's pretty much how it all kind of rolled. <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned um, that you kind of started off doing print work. Uh, there's a community on Facebook that's called Black Designers United, and I talked about it. I've talked about it in a few podcast before and one of the things we were discussing recently is about how so many black designers tend to start in print as opposed to starting in like on the web or starting in design that way which i i was just thinking about my own story like i didn't start in print i'm actually kind of terrible at print but um how how was the design program at uh well formerly decab tech but now gpc um, it was actually an excellent program um, as far as teaching you the the ins and outs of the printing industry. Um, it was more than just, all right, we're going to teach you the Adobe Suite. It was also, we're going to teach you how to, you know, properly set things up to go to press. It focused a lot on not just making something pretty, but making it functional, which was extremely important to my instructors, like the end result had to be as pristine 
on screen as it was off screen. And um, it just kind of made me more aware and it grew my appreciation for, you know, pressmen and people who have to make sure that the product is finished and bound properly and all of those different intricate things that go into making a final printed product really stand out. It's, it's definitely a very technical side to that. And it also taught me that you can mold your own aesthetic because the program really didn't focus a lot on aesthetics um, as far as, you know, art history and all of the other conventional things that you have to learn when pursuing a design career. Um, they focus definitely more on being able to function. And, I, you know, that's the plus of a trade school. And it was very concise. Um, once I got into my program, I would say it was about a year, a full year of intense learning and every day sitting down, Photoshop, printing, cropping, cutting, doing all of the things that you would do if you worked at a, a, um, a printing company. And it just, it, for me, I think that was the best way to be kind of introduced to it, especially without having someone constantly critiquing my um my aesthetic, I had time to figure it out on my own, what I really liked, what I think was most representative of what I was trying to say through my designs. Um, so I think it was an excellent program. And I think even if you are on web, there's there's a lot to be understood about print that could assist in what you do on the web as far as functionality, especially now that print and web are so inter intertwined. Um especially with the use of tablets and iPhones and things like that, certain functionalities that you do with paper um, transfer greatly to how you use the electronics that now mimic what paper used to do. So I think kind of starting off there, I, I definitely love apps and different um, web features that have that touch of what print used to give people as well as, you know, the technical, the technical advances that make it interesting and easy to access today. What are some of those things that you said there's like things that translate over? What are some of those things? Well, I, I don't even know what they call it now, but if you go to pitchfork.com, they are, uh, you know, a music-centric site. But what they're doing is they're now doing editorial spreads online for featured articles. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be very inter interesting because I feel like one of the things that blogs had over uh, printed magazines for a while was that, you know, they could get it out within five minutes. All they had to do was press post. Um, but what was missing was the visuals to accompany the um, the article and what the artist was trying to portray. And, of course, everyone loves to flip through a beautiful magazine and see, you know, well thought out editorial that looks great of their favorite artist or, you know, whoever the subject is. Um, but they've found a great formula to combine that with um, multimedia. Um, like sometimes the background will be a video of the shoot or a still of the person or, you know, it's just it, they, they found a way to to bridge the gap between making great editorial accessible online. Um, and I think that's one of the best examples I can say of that particular emerging form. But I, I absolutely love what they're doing with that. So that's one example of where 
editorial and what you usually could only get in print um, is now available online. I see what you mean. I think uh, Pitchfork, they did that Janelle Monet piece, right? That had the really nice art. Oh, my God. Yeah. I fell out of my seat. (laughs) It was amazing. (laughs) They also have an amazing one on Daft Punk as well. Um, And it's responsive and it does all of the, the great functionality that it should. And it's also just really fun to sit down and play with and look at. Let's go back a little bit to uh, to to college, and I guess, and before that, because you mentioned because GPC was a trade school, you could really sort of work through the things that you had to do in a very concise manner. And it also sounds like you had a pretty creative childhood. Is that right? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, it initially kind of, you know, started with music because my father's a musician. But um, in my household, I had uh, very just... I. In every way, my family's just kind of creative. We never do anything conventional. Um, and even as far back as I can remember, just having guests over, the spread, the way we lay it out. And, um, my aunt's a cake decorator, and she's been doing it since 84, since I think the year I was born. Okay. Um, so she's always all about the details. During Christmas, it was this huge, you know, thing to to decorate and make sure aesthetics were you know at the forefront of everything that we did and you know putting our touch on everything has always been important so that and a lot of art classes throughout uh elementary school middle school and high school did you have any mentors that also helped you with your uh i guess shaping your design aesthetic um honestly no I feel like I had a lot of great people who were passionate about it because I was passionate about it, but they weren't necessarily vested in the field. Mm -hmm. But no, I can't really think of any particular mentors within the field of design. Okay. All right. So after school, you said that you did some work for Phoenix Magazine. Can you tell us about that? Um, Well, Phoenix Magazine was my first opportunity to really kind of just go for it and spread my wings and figure out, you know, what my aesthetic is, what I like, what I don't like, um, as far as design is concerned. And it was kind of no holds barred because it was a new publication starting from scratch. And I, I walked in the door as the graphic art director. So majority of the decisions and direction that the magazine went in were mine alone. Of course, I had to, you know, collaborate with the editor and uh, publisher to make sure it was in line with what they had in mind when they created the publication. Well, when they created the premise of the publication. Um, But everything from the logo to the, the website to everything pretty much has my stamp on it somewhere. Um, and I think it was probably one of the best experiences experiences because I was just kind of given the free reign to go out there and do whatever I wanted to do, um, pretty much. And within reason, of course, but I, I, I really do appreciate the creative freedom of just being able to start something from scratch and really watch it grow. And I'm very proud that it's still a publication in print today um, and that a lot of the elements that I left behind are still there. And how long were you there again? I was there a year and six months. It was it was almost two years. Okay. And then from there, where'd you where'd you decide to go? Um, after that, I went to the Home Mag, which is a syndicated publication. Um, I believe their headquarters 
are in Florida. It's pretty much a um, a, a magazine for advertisers who want to reach a certain demographic of homeowners for um, you know various services they offer, everything from interior decorating to plumbing. Um, and it was that was where I really got into um, the thought process behind ad creation and working as opposed to just editorial before I was more focused on, you know, how to make the phone ring as opposed to just making great layouts. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that plays into, you know, figuring out what your readership is and how to engage them and how design is extremely important in making that happen. Nice. And so now uh, what are you doing? What are you working on now? Uh, now I am at Group 1201. It's a uh, advertising marketing agency in Marietta, Georgia. Um, we do a lot of, I, I, I want to say recruitment advertising, but it's a little bit more in, more than that. It's, a, it's much more intensive than that would imply. But we do, um, we, we work for large trucking companies that are seeking to hire qualified candidates. Um, they also do that in the medical field and a couple of other um, areas where a, a certain qualified staff is needed and they need direct marketing to solicit them properly. Um, and I've been there for two years this month. Um, and it's been a great experience. I've definitely learned a lot about the back end, uh, which alludes, you know, to my technical beginnings, um, with the analytics and the ways to track response and to see if your designs are really hitting people the way that you think in your head that they will, because you'd be surprised at what gets a response out of a certain demographic and what doesn't. And, um, I think that's the, one of the greatest things about, this day and age and technology is being able to integrate your great ideas with proof, whether or not they, you know, they're actually doing what they said they were going to do. Um, as far as not just being appeasing to the client, but being effective for them, which, um, at this agency is extremely important to us. We don't want to just make, you know, pretty pictures. It's about results. Um, and I think that's, in advertising in general, I know we'd all love to sit behind a computer every day and just go for it and make whatever we want. But I think there's a lot to be said for design that is pleasing as well as effective. So I'm definitely learning that a lot at the agency that I'm at now. Where do you get your inspiration from? Where do you get your motivation from for the designs that you do? It comes from a lot of different places. I'm constantly surfing the web and just, you know, on the lookout for any and everything um, that catches my eye. Um, I actually keep a, well, before the days of Pinterest and all of those in Tumblr, um, I've always had a folder on my desktop um, called my inspiration folder. And I believe when I first, I got my first first Mac, excuse me, almost, I would say nine, ten years ago, um, I still have that folder of things that inspire me. And I've always had one subsequently after that. So I literally have like a a ridiculously large file on my desktop at all times that are literally whatever I see that 
I am somewhat intrigued by or inspired by, I put it in that, I drag it to my desktop and put it in that folder. So you've got everything from web banners to screenshots of editorial layouts to random color palettes to random pictures that have no contextual sense or, you know, whatever. Um, And that just has kind of been a constant for me to stay inspired Um, I also love publications and I have a ridiculous amount of magazines that I keep um, close as well as on my iPad to access at the drop of a hat. And I I would probably say I'm also inspired by uh, contemporary art. Um, I really do love going to museums and just seeing people's different perspectives in different mediums, especially 3D mediums. and yeah, those are those are probably my main inspirations or the ways that I stay inspired. Okay. Now, there's also a personal project that you're working on that uh, I guess sort of draws from some of this inspiration too. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I'm actually working on a publication. Well, the mock-ups and the idea of a publication um, to start a black a publication black a centric publication um that isn't so much focused on endorsing products or you know purporting to people how to live but actually just a kind of a a journal of our current state some of the issues that we're facing some of the you know great things that are happening for us as far as changes in social climate and just accurately depict that visually with solid imagery and supported by great writing. Um, I feel like this particular demographic does not have a centralized um, medium for their voices and the voices to come behind them as far as we have all of this access nowadays you know you can get on the internet and in seconds you can find what you want um but i think there is something to be said for long-standing publications with a history of a history and a dedication to making sure that the best of the best and the most talented and the most outspoken people have a platform that they know that they can entrust with their their material whether that be photographers or whether that be writers. And I feel like um, I'm hoping that that's what this publication will become. Um, I'm looking into ways to make sure that it has not just visual appeal, but some substance to it as far as something that you won't be able to easily access anywhere else. I really think that's the key with publications today. Um, Not only utilizing the digital medium to its maximum, but it's also creating content that the blogs will blog about. Mm-hmm. And it, once you have a publication that literally causes buzz as opposed, as opposed to just catching up and writing about buzz after the fact um, because of the delay with print, I think you're really on to something if you're creating content that people want to talk about and access, you know, as soon as it's available. So I'm hoping that's what this publication will become. We also really don't have any longstanding publications in this community. Um, We've had some in the past with great success and very long runs, but I'm, I'm hoping to create something that is very similar to, and I hate kind of comparing it to it, but it's kind of like, I want it to be similar to the New York times mixed with, 
a little GQ mixed with a little of this and a little of that. And you just kind of throw those in where you've got these great opinion pieces, these great stories on perspective, and you've got beautiful visuals to back them up. And it becomes more, um, not just a magazine, but kind of a work of art in its own, where it's literally capturing genuine emotion from that particular time from whoever is you know saying what it is that they have to say um and it also be something i hope people will be able to look back on and say well this is how life was in you know 2014 for dot 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 or these were some of the issues or maybe this will start the the conversation about not repeating some of the same things that are, keep occurring in this uh, culture as far as the way we treat each other, health, um, economics, all of that. I'm hoping that this just will kind of bridge the gap in a way between keeping a record of what the Black gay experience was and is for um, for this generation because we really don't have any solid things to look back at concerning that particular topic hmm, that's okay that's there was a lot <laughs> no 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 I'm not, I'm not saying necessarily that was a lot but we also sort of talked a little bit you know kind of before we started the interview um and i feel like this might be somewhat of a parallel to that you said that there's not like a lot of black gay magazines that you can kind of look back on to see you know sort of i guess what life was like at a specific time and also in a similar vein you mentioned sort of a lack of mentorship when you were coming up and learning about design. As a designer now, uh, how important do you feel that representation is, I guess, as a black gay man as well as, you know, just as a black designer? I think it's extremely important. Well, uh, let me let me start by saying you can find inspiration wherever you find wherever you find it or wherever you seek to find it. However, I do think there's a lot to be said about climate and culture when it comes to a certain field that you want to pursue and you, no matter what no one says to a certain degree, it is nice to see people that mirror your perspectives, um, whatever that is, um, whether that be the black, the gay or whatever um, within that field. And I think it makes it easier and more digestible to understand that you too can make it in that field if that's what you choose to do. And that's, across any medium, like whether you want to be a designer or a rocket scientist, it's great to know that people like you have succeeded in that field prior. Um, And not only that, hopefully there'll be people there that can offer you words of wisdom that understand some of the advantages and disadvantages that you might face and kind of give you a little bit more insight into what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, a lot of people think that graphic design is just, you know, very simple, very easy. For some people it is, but it, it might not also be effective. And you kind of need someone to sit down and explain to you the ins and outs of that in a way that you're most familiar with. And I feel like if there's people that have similar experiences, that have the same passions and same perspective and direction as you, as, you know, well as skin tone, possibly. Um, It does kind of help because we do know that certain things can be um, hindrances to where you're trying to go. And it is never a bad idea to talk to someone who's already been there, done that, or potentially blaze the trail. So, right. 
there, there's certainly something to be said for making sure, and and this is not just in terms of working with a company, because I feel like when when you talk about, and I'm not talking about you in particular, but when people talk about there being a cultural fit, it's normally wrapped in some level of employment for a company. So, for example, I'll, I'll give you an example. So recently, I don't know if you've heard about this, there's this whole um, big issue with GitHub. And GitHub had uh, one of their female developers just recently quit. And she quit in a very sort of public and verbal way saying that, that she had put up with years of, you know, intimidation and sex, sexual harassment and things like that. In the same vein, she was also kind of a pretty big advocate for women working at GitHub as well as women working just in technology, you know, as a whole. Um, and so I think it's it's interesting, you know, people are saying, oh, well, maybe she wasn't a good fit for their culture, but they had a toxic culture. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, that's kind of a weird thing to even say, like, oh, maybe it's a, not a cultural fit. But I think, you know, outside of the terms of employment, it's important that, you know, just as you're coming up as a designer, just to see people that look like you, that talk like you, that are from where you are, you know, I know, like you said, you can get inspiration where you can get it. But also, there has to be something to be said for that, for being able to see someone that looks like you, that visual representation is absolutely is equally, I think, as important as just the knowledge itself. I agree. Know? Because there are certain, you know, microaggressions and things like that that occur, which, you know, if someone that's there that's blazed the trail, they can kind of help you help you through that without, you know, making an ass out of yourself or something. So <laughs> I agree. I completely I completely understand that. What's the last thing that you designed that was just for fun? And then we're, we know, we're kind of stepping away from factor, but what, what's the last thing you designed that was just for fun? Yeah, it probably was factor. Um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like I'm putting a lot of everything that I feel like I've been waiting for into this publication. And uh, I literally find myself constantly sidetracked and jotting down ideas and, just thinking about it. So I'm really consumed with that now. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, I know, I, I feel like I've designed something for fun. I can't remember what it was, but overshadowing all of that, <laughs> it seems to be um, some spreads that I'm, I'm working on for uh, the publication. And I've, what I really love about the particular layouts that I'm working on is that they are allowing the photography to speak and they're not cluttered. They're very clear and crisp and it's an excellent level of photography. And I feel like the topography matches it perfectly and just everything kind of feels like it aligns. So, you know, just seeing those layouts and the potential that they could have just, you know, does it for me. Now you say that you've been getting sidetracked from it. Is that sidetracked because of your your regular work with Group Twelve Hundred One? No, I mean what I mean by sidetracked is I'll be thinking, I'll be you know actively engaged in whatever other projects I have and or work, and I'll be thinking about improvements or modifications or changes to Factor. Um, simply because, like I said, even from because I initially made the, some mockups in two thousand and eleven. And even revisiting those and opening up the old files and just kind of looking at some of the stuff that was not on the main, that was just off to the side on the, on the artboard, revisiting that 
has just been like, man, I was, I was, I was going for it at one point. Uh-huh. And, um, just kind of falling in love with the project again, um, has been one of the, one of the, my favorite things that I've done recently. What do you think it would take for you to, to, I guess, pursue that full on? Um, well, we all like a check. <laughs> hey, no, I, I hear you. I, I totally understand um, that. But, you know, I, that's that's the wonderful thing about being a designer and figuring out early in the game what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do is I can design every day and be completely okay with designing. I would like to design things like Factor that have a personal attachment like they do, um, working in advertising and, you know, different forms of publications. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can become detached from your work. And I know this is one particular project that I would not become detached from because it's so much a part of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but to make me pursue it fully would definitely be a responsive readership where even if it's not making a million dollars, it's being received well and it's being taken into consideration as far as being a part of people's lives and and people feel it's an accurate depiction of who they are and they want more of it. Funding to a certain degree is extremely important. Um, I'm thinking about different ways to ensure longevity and uh, that we continue to put out a quality product um, and I don't know. I think there's, I, there's a small part of me that I kind of need to get over. You know, everyone has that slight fear of failure. Um, but whether it, you know, takes off completely or hits the ground in flames, I will always be exceedingly proud of what I've created. Um, it's definitely, it's it, like I said, it's a, it's a part of me. So mm-hmm. This is one of those times where I just really feel connected and close to every swatch I pick, every font I pick, every every title, every headline, every everything. Um, so, well, I feel like, like I said, the fear of getting over the fear fear of failure, um, some some funding to ensure longevity and uh, a responsive readership. When people like it, then I I can do it. Do you think that you have I don't know, maybe at least one or two of those things already in play or in the works. Because I feel like something like this could probably do really well if you had a strong like crowdfunding campaign behind it. Because then you would get the funding. Um, in terms of exposure, you would get the readership. And of course, since you sort of have those two in play, that might you know cancel out that fear of failure because you're seeing that there are people that want this and there are people that are willing to pay for it. So that's, you know, that's a thought. That's very true. Um, I've thought I've considered a lot of different mediums to ensure funding. Um, I think peer campaigning is great, um, and it has brought a lot of great projects to the forefront. Um, but with that said, I feel like a lot of people feel like every, especially in my circle where I, I'm around a lot of other creatives who are reaching out for funding for projects. It seems like you know every two months I'm cracking open the wallet, and I don't mind for quality products and I'm proud to say that I have helped fund some awesome projects but I I do know that perhaps that market might be a little saturated at the moment as far as that being a a medium that a lot of people use so there may not be as much as much of a pool as you know 
there was prior to when Kickstarter and all those great things first started. Uh-huh. Um, I, and I also could be completely wrong on that. Um, but um, it's definitely something I'm considering as an option. I'm really hoping for grants um, because that way it's paid for for the year. It's done until the time that it needs to be renewed. Um, and we wouldn't have to worry about advertisements as much. Of course, we would still sell certain spaces depending on, you know, if the demographic lines up correctly with the advertiser and then we'd be in a position to pick and choose as opposed to having to take whatever's thrown at us. Because I think uh, what a lot of people don't realize when you're looking through a magazine, it's mostly ads (laughs) and uh, the quality of those ads does influence how you feel about the magazine, whether you feel it is as luxury as it's saying it is, or if it's as local as it says it is. I mean, a lot of publications lose steam and face value because they've got random pub, random advertisements thrown in between content. And um, they have to work together in order to really make a publication feel cohesive. The advertisers should align with the demographic, which should align with the content. Um, so that is a, one of my biggest concerns. I would really love to have minimal advertisements. I love advertisers, appreciate sponsorships and all that good stuff. But with that said, um, I just know how that influences a lot of things behind the scenes that people probably don't know about. Like there's a reason why a certain product is being worked into an article. There's a reason why this page is placed here as opposed to in the back or in the front. So there's a lot of politics you have to deal with when you have a lot of advertisers to fund a publication. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like this particular demographic with disposable income, known for conspicuous consumption and all of that good stuff, I feel like they are prime people that someone wants to advertise to and they should be treated as sh- treated as such and they shouldn't have to you know sift through all of that to get to what they really want um at least not with this particular magazine that's my hope though i could be shooting myself in the foot and be completely completely wrong but that's that's definitely something i've considered as far as peer funding um grants a little advertising sponsorship going on in there. Um, and then, you know, subscription-based, I'm not opposed to that. I I just have seen the numbers recently for publications. And um, even though I've worked out a way to kind of bridge the gap between a digital version and a print version, I feel like subscriptions are just kind of hard to come by these days. <laughs> like a heavy, a subscription-heavy readership is just... I don't, I don't think those days exist anymore because content is so accessible. But it's all in the works. I'm not taking anything off the table. Okay. I feel like you should probably, I mean, I think exploring that crowdfunding method, because like you said, it is pretty saturated in terms of, you know, everyone feels, feels like everyone has a Kickstarter campaign for something. But based on what you're telling me, just in terms of having that engaged audience, having that, I think you called a responsive audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be a good idea. I really do. I would, I would, you know, just put that in your back pocket. Just think about it. Will do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're pretty, I mean, I, I feel like it would be a good idea to, to try to fund it that way. I mean, if I don't know of, 
and you probably have done more research on this, that there are particular grants that could be used specifically for this kind of thing? Um, there are some that kind of, it falls under the umbrella in one way or another, whether it be because of the demographic or because it's a, um, it's a literary publication. There okay. are some, um, but as I am, I am researching, they're a little bit harder to obtain, um, but not impossible. So I'm hopeful. All right. I think that would definitely be the ideal solution. How would you describe your, your personal design style? I know just hearing you talk about factor um, and about, you know, how you want these pictures to speak and how you've given very thoughtful consideration to colors and fonts and things. Uh, how would you describe your personal design style? Who are some of your, your influences? I would say, and I want to say his name right. <laughs> it's either Daryl or Darhill. Um, Crooks. I actually have been enamored with his design aesthetic before I even knew it was him. Um, like in the early 2000s with Esquire magazine, I actually still have some of those copies where it was just so cool to look at that I had to hold on to it. And this was years and years ago. Um, and he's also done amazing things for Ebony, and uh, now he's at the Atlantic. And he's just someone that I've never met in person, don't know personally, but I feel like, oh, my God, that's that dude. Like, everything that he touches is so pristine and well done and um, not overdone. And that's what I really like about him. He really knows that line between, you know, simplistic and interesting, and he does it so well consistently. And what I really love about him is he's done it for so many different platforms that he is literally taking, you know, time-tested brands and making them feel fresh and new again, and not everybody can do that. Um, and like I said, still keeping it simplistic and interesting. Um, he definitely influences me a lot um, as far as, layout and look and feel and really making sure that that translates on all mediums. Um, and like I said, mentioned before his redesign of Ebony proved that you can, that it, well, his strength in that particular field, as far as making it fresh, making it hot and still digestible for the same audience that was accustomed to seeing it a certain way before. Um, let me see. I think his name is Aram. He's no longer at uh, the New York Times, but before, um, he he was the art director at um, the New York Times up until very, very recently. You're talking about um, Arem Duplass. Yes. Yes. Um, he is amazing. Uh, I love his ability to pick imagery that says so much with minimal type, with like, it's... It's amazing how before you pick up a cover, you're already like super, super intrigued about whatever the content is going to be about. Um, and great use of color and uh, white space and, you know, just like I said, keeping it fresh, keeping it simple. And th those are two people that I really, really, really admire and um, hope to one day speak to in person and just tell them that uh, it was great to just stand back and watch them work um, at so many huge publications um, and just do their thing and stay yeah, true I, to that. I believe Arem is now, I think he's the creative director at Apple now. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he left uh, the New York Times for. So let's talk a little bit about diversity okay. in this, I guess, in this design community. So um, you're approaching this, I think, from a very unique perspective, being a black gay man. What do you, what do you see when you when you look at the design field? Um, what are some ways that you think that diversity can be increased? I know in terms of, of what we see now, I think with exposure, uh, it looks like we're not there. It doesn't look like black people are there. Uh, visibility period is what I think we kind of need to achieve. Um, but honestly, I feel like it, it's not only to be visible, but also to be accurate. Um, because I do think there are certain depictions of black gay men, period, that aren't actually true of everyday life. Um, I think we are seeing some exaggerations, whether that be the super far end of the spectrum or the non-existent end of the spectrum. Um, And that there's a happy medium in between and that everyone can kind of get with and it doesn't have to be either he's so stoic and I hate to use certain terms, but he's so left and he's so right. We'll put it like that. Um, But with that said, as far as what I see in this field that we should work on, we should definitely work on the imagery that we put forth as far as it being too... Okay, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. Um, not too black? No, 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 not too black. There's no such thing. Um, but I'm over sexualized, probably. Okay. I think just because it's it's black doesn't mean it has to be super in your face. If that's not what the message is, right? And it not, doesn't not raunchy, over sexualized because it's gay. So okay. I think those are some of the biggest things that I see um, as far as mistakes, because sometimes the product or the message doesn't even solicit that particular content, but that's what's used anyway, repeatedly. Um, And I also think stock photography might not be the best road. Um, It typically does not depict, it doesn't depict black gay people together (laughs) in the same shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also, it's typically extreme. You only see the subjects engaged in a way where it is, it's, it's, it's once again sensationalized and it's, it's, it's too much. I just, I, w- I was trying not to say that, but it's, it's sometimes, <laughs> it's just too much. You've got, you've got the, the, it's, it's too much. I can't, I can't even break down some of the things that I've seen, but I respect people for going out there and, and trying to get their demographics attention the best way that they know how. I'm just saying that um, design shouldn't suffer because of that. Um, And creativity shouldn't suffer because of that. Just because you've never seen it done for this demographic before doesn't mean it's not possible. Um, And being that we are subject to all kinds of advertisements and, uh, you know, easily accessible images, it's, it's kind of, stifling to say this is the only thing that they'll respond to because I don't believe that's the case. Mm-hmm. Did I answer your question? I feel like I strayed. <laughs> no, I mean, you're, you're basically saying that we need to make sure that we control our own image because we're we're going to be the ones that get the story right. 
It, absolutely. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things that I've seen as far as designers are concerned, as far as um, advertising. You can't entrust your unique perspective to someone else who doesn't share that same perspective. You, I mean, you can, but we've seen it go awry many of times with, you know, just it not being handled properly um, or authentically. And I think that's what my my biggest thing I'm trying to stress is if it's not authentic to what you feel and see every day, then you might want to rework that design to make it, make it, if you make it real to you, it'll be real to everyone else. And even if it doesn't, at least you can say, well, I didn't just do the stereotypical thing that people would expect for this particular project because I was doing it for someone who was black and gay. What's some of the best advice that you've been given, uh, regarding design and also what advice would you give to someone that is just coming up in this field that might be interested in being where you are um some of the uh, best advice i would say um keep it simple um and keep it up to date um i'm constantly online looking for a new font or new places to get stock or new places to whatever. Don't ever stop evolving once you are out of school. It's a never-ending process. Design is constantly going on. It's constantly changing. um, And you need to be an active part of that at all times. And, I mean, honestly, and this is real random, but if you don't like it, don't send it to the client because that'll be the one they pick. And that is, it has <laughs> never been more true to me than uh, as of recent working with uh, certain clients where I literally gave them, well, after a conversation of wanting something different, I gave them what they were more leaning towards um, after a couple of consultations. And they no doubt went with that. And uh, of course, you know, we do provide a service and you do have to give people what they want. There's a way to do that and keep your artistic integrity um, and ensure that it looks well done and pristine before you send it out with your name and your stamp on it. Um, But yeah, if you don't like it, I wouldn't send it to them. (laughs) And it's as simple as that. Just don't send it. That'll be the one they pick and it'll, it'll hurt your feelings and surprise you every time. (laughs) Okay. All right, so let's just uh, just to wrap things up here, where can our audience find you online? Um, my site is www.84, and that's 8, the number 8, and 4, um, inkcom 84inc.com. Sounds good. Chris Barker, again, thanks a lot uh, for taking time out of your day for this interview. And uh, best of luck to you with Factor. I want to see where that's going to go in the next few months. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, and um, thanks to everyone who will hear this. All right. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Chris Barker, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio, and leave us a rating and a review. Revision Path is a 318 Media Project. If you like what we're doing with these podcasts, then show your support. Visit tugboatyards.com forward slash page forward slash revision path and donate today. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.